0: I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world, and of course not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, Please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation.
1: I'm surprised that some people that I talk with um, who are well-educated, have a lot of resources, uh, get diagnosed with this disease and think that this is it, that this is a, a, a death blow. And I guess I'm shocked. Uh, that uh, some people don't see any options.
0: How a new wave of cancer survivors use the powers of the mind to support their physical recovery. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. It used to be that people who survived cancer somehow managed to beat the odds of a dreaded, life-threatening diagnosis. But now, according to the National Institutes of Health, the statistics are that the majority of people will survive their cancer and build a new life. The outlook has brightened because of earlier diagnosis, improved treatment techniques, and a new wave of patients who are better informed and more actively engaged. An estimated 10 million Americans are cancer survivors. Some of them were faces in the crowd at this Relay for Life event in Springfield, Missouri, one of many around the country sponsored by the American Cancer Society to celebrate survivors. They're often remarkable people who emerge deeply changed from walking through the storm of cancer. For Andrew Madison, a psychologist in San Diego, the battle began unexpectedly
1: when he realized something was wrong after returning from a business trip. I came back home, decided time to get back on the treadmill and do some exercise, and after just uh, a minute, uh, was huffing and puffing. I uh, sat down and uh, got my, caught my breath and got back on the treadmill, and same thing happened. So I believe that there might be some cardiac issues going on. Therefore, uh, some tests were done that indicated a large advanced adenocarcinoma in my stomach. One of the worst uh, uh, malignant uh, cancers that we know about. And did this come as a complete surprise to you? Complete surprise. I I was in the best of health, uh, exercising regularly, eating well. Uh, not feeling any symptoms, total surprise. And is this the first major illness that you've had? First one ever. Mm. Has that been really hard? It has been hard, um, uh, especially right at the beginning when uh, I met uh, my oncologist for the first time who uh, said uh, in a very uh, grim uh, tone of voice uh, that I had a uh, incurable non-operable condition, and that my life expectancy would be less than a year, and that his job was to provide medications to uh, make me comfortable. And my job was to get my affairs in order rather quickly. How did you deal with that? Well, I was uh, shocked uh, and then very uh, numb. Uh, and then took his um, uh, comments very uh, seriously and started uh, to organize my affairs and uh, get my family together and so forth. And then I realized, I said, now wait a minute. These are just sort of statistics uh, out of a book. And I entered this illness or was diagnosed with illness, uh, coming in pretty healthy. And I decided, no, I, I want to engage uh, with this illness. And uh see if I can uh, increase my uh, life expectancy, if not really push this uh, disease back. So I met with the oncologist again and uh, informed him that if we're going to work together, uh, that I didn't want just palliative care to make me comfortable as I uh, started to die right away, but that I wanted to fight this and that I was up for it.
0: When I met Drew Madison for this interview, he was in his 17th month since diagnosis. He had largely withdrawn from research duties on the University of California faculty, focusing instead on conventional medical treatment and a range of self-care techniques under doctor's advice that he uses to strengthen his body and bolster his spirit. They include attending a support group, practicing meditation, helping other patients, and utilizing mental imagery. These mind-body practices are not touted as a cure for cancer, but they can promote healing and significantly improve a patient's quality of life. They're now formally taught at many cancer clinics and appeal to patients like Magali Jaguno, a great-grandmother born in Cuba and now living in Miami.
2: They said that I had a rare type of cancer called multiple myeloma and that the uh, primary tumor is in one of my ribs. So th- that came as a very big shock to me. And then I started to educate myself on what this type of cancer is and what it does to you. And I really got very scared because the complications are very serious because it's not curable. And, uh, I mean, I felt that I was losing my independence, that, uh, I was now going to be tied to a, a machine, uh, that I was going to have to have chemotherapy constantly. It, it was very scary.
0: Almost everyone diagnosed with cancer must confront their fears, both real and imagined. Health psychologist Ann Webster leads groups of cancer patients at Harvard University's Mind Body Medical Institute.
3: Negative thoughts run the whole gamut of, you know, from being shocked to being anxious and worried, to being sad and depressed, to being angry, feeling helpless, hopeless all over the place. Many of them are negative thoughts that are around death and dying. Uh, I'm not going to be around to see my son grow up. I'm not going to be around to see my daughter get married. I want to be here for my first grandchild. And so they're worrying about all kinds of things in the future. Uh, So there's a lot of Uh, Jumping to conclusions about things, there's a lot of fortune-telling, there's a lot of magnification.
0: Magnification?
3: Taking uh, things that might be relatively small and controllable and turning them into big dramas.
4: You know, in our culture, cancer is kind of the boogeyman, and it brings out all of the fears and all of the terrors.
0: Physician and author Martin Rossman in Greenbrae, California, near San Francisco, teaches mind-body techniques to his cancer patients.
4: Cancer does not equal death, but in a lot of people's minds it does. The person has an image. Uh, Oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm a dead man. And they may have a kind of cancer that's 90% curable, but they hear the word cancer and they go right into, they go into terror and they go down the lane of what cancer means to them. And then everybody's got an opinion. If you see three different oncologists, you might get three different opinions about how to treat this cancer. And then if you see a Chinese medicine practitioner, you'll get another opinion. And if you see a nutritionist, you'll get another opinion. And your neighbor will have an opinion about what their Aunt Millie did to get rid of their cancer. And then you'll go on the Internet, and you'll get a huge amount of information. And people will send you books and CDs, and you'll have a stack next to your table. Usually well-meaning. Very well-meaning. People are trying to help. But one of the challenges, one of what I think are the unique challenges to a cancer diagnosis in the first several weeks is you're in shock or trauma. You're very frightened. You're trying to analyze a huge amount of data, which is difficult for even an oncologist who spent their whole adult life studying it. And then the final factor that I think is especially difficult is even if you're very clear on what the treatment is, and it's not ambiguous, and it's not conflicted, the treatments that you're offered are very difficult to take anyhow.
0: For some people with cancer, it can seem as if their whole world is caving in. The feeling of a death threat and the prospect of treatments with harsh side effects can send some patients into an emotional tailspin An unremitting cycle of worry. Mind-body counselors try to ease patients onto calmer ground by replacing distortions with more rational thoughts. Dr. Ann Webster.
3: What we're doing is giving them a tool to get out of that negative way of thinking, even if it's just for a minute, or maybe just for an hour, or to just see that, you know, hey, this isn't serving me well at all. I'm not even going to go back to that kind of thinking. Or... If the negative thoughts are 100% true, then maybe we have to uh, work on accepting them. Yeah, chemotherapy is going to make you feel sick. Uh, It's not going to last forever, but you're not going to feel well, so you have to move into sort of an acceptance of it.
0: Make peace with it? Yes. Is that hard?
3: No, I think fighting this stuff is worse. (laughs) I think all this suffering that we put into, you know, the worry and all of that, sometimes if you can move into acceptance, there's sort of a peace with that. You can be a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, each person is different. They move at their own pace.
0: When people are diagnosed with cancer, they can easily get overwhelmed by the whirlwind of doctor's visits, medical testing, and the sudden need to adjust activities of everyday life. Georgetown University medical professor James Gordon directs the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington, D.C.
5: What happens first to people with cancer when the diagnosis comes is they have a sense, for the most part, that everything is out of their control, that it's in the hands of the experts, of the oncologists, and of the other physicians and technicians who are involved with their care. That tends to make people feel um, rather anxious. I mean, they're they're reassured that they have experts on the case, but they feel like there's nothing that they can do for themselves. And that feeling of uh, helplessness is not conducive to good health. So one of the questions that people with cancer are always asking is, what else can I do? I think
6: cancer patients need advice in all of the key areas of lifestyle.
0: University of Arizona physician and best-selling author Andrew Weil.
6: They need to know what to eat. They need to know how to use dietary supplements wisely. They need to know what kind of exercise to do. They need to know uh, about how to maximize sleep and rest. They need to know how to use their minds um, in the service of healing. And, uh, you know, they need this comprehensive uh, kind of medicine.
0: the intensive care unit at M.D. Anderson in Houston, one of the nation's most respected cancer centers. Here, patients receive state-of-the-art conventional medical services, but now, in a part of the hospital called Place of Wellness, patients are offered a broader spectrum of choices. They can be seen practicing the slow, smooth movements of Tai Chi, learning relaxation techniques, studying herbal remedies or receiving acupuncture treatments. Known as integrative medicine, this blending of high-tech care with natural healing systems represents one of the most exciting movements in medicine today. And central to this trend is the idea that cancer patients can play an active role in their recovery.
1: A the patient I saw in clinic yesterday was a young woman uh, with breast cancer who Uh, also has a seven-year history of high blood pressure. Dr.
0: Donald Abrams, a practitioner of integrative medicine, is chief of hematology oncology at San Francisco General Hospital.
1: I said, well, what's your blood pressure today? She said it was 140 over 90. I said, well, that's not terrible. And then her husband said, but when she goes over to get chemotherapy, it's often 180 over 100. So I said, and why do you think that is? And she said, well, because I'm stressed and I'm scared. And I said, okay, well, that is a perfect example of the effect the mind has on your body because those emotions are translating into that increase in your blood pressure. So let's turn it around and let's use that mind to heal the body, to lower your blood pressure, to decrease your stress, to maybe build back your immunity and to help fight your cancer in the long run. Thoughts
6: and emotions have a direct impact on immunity.
0: Dr. Andrew Weil
6: and immunity is is your main safeguard against cancer because one of the functions of the immune system is to identify and weed out uh, malignant cells does your
0: immune system play a role in battling the cancer as well once it's Absolutely. been once
6: it's arrived yeah there's no question of that depression of immunity i don't think that that is going to cause a cancer but it can certainly allow a cancer to grow faster or it can allow a cancer to escape detection and removal. So I think uh, being vigilant about your mental health and how it impacts your immunity should be one of the key steps in in, uh, management of any kind of cancer.
0: Listening to humankind. To learn more, visit our website, humanmedia.org.
7: So, as you like, opening your eyes, unrolling your mat or your blanket. If you need a mat or a blanket, I'll be glad to give it to you.
0: One way a growing number of cancer patients take care of their emotional health is by practicing time tested relaxation techniques like meditation. At the Zakem Center for Integrative Therapies at Boston's renowned Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, a class of a dozen cancer patients tries out a simple meditation exercise.
7: So, just taking a moment to be feeling yourself breathing. How fortunate no one here needs an oxygen mask. We're all able to breathe on our own. Can you feel the breath moving the body? Can you allow it to be moving in its own way, its own pace? And with each breath, if you want to, it's your choice. You can be sending kindness and compassion, caring, into the body. Letting the cancer cells on the out breath, if you want to imagine them leaving, you can do that. But it's enough to simply feel the breath and allowing the oxygen naturally, automatically, revitalizing, plumping up those healthy cells. And the out breath, letting go of whatever gets in your way of being here. So simply feeling yourself resting and breathing.
0: The teacher, Ilana Rosenbaum, is not only an experienced leader of meditation, she's also a cancer survivor, diagnosed in 1995 with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma.
7: It was just unbelievable that this could happen to me. I taught stress reduction. I was the first one on the block to really get sick. I mean, no one could believe that I could get cancer. How could it be? I meditated, I watched what I ate, I exercised, I looked great. I got cancer.
0: Even people who try to take care of themselves and who maintain a positive attitude are susceptible to illness in our world of toxic pollution, chemically altered food, hazardous technology and the unavoidable assault of daily stress. For people with cancer, meditation can offer a peaceful respite from this environment. In her book Here for Now, Rosenbaum describes a meditation technique in which one calmly observes what's happening in the present moment.
7: It's not just an intellectual process, but it's really allowing the heart to be as open and free as possible, and that allows for compassion and kindness. And without compassion and kindness, I think it's impossible to go through the torture of of cancer treatment, because it is torture. And it's also a way of working with a loss of control, because anything can happen. You're more vulnerable. You don't know what's going to be. You're at the mercy, often, of doctors. You have to go into a large hospital. You know, poisons are being given to you. You have to be kind to yourself. And the clearer you can be as to what you need and what's going to allow you to get through it and what will sustain you, the easier it is to cope.
5: If people practice these techniques on a regular basis, whether it's a deep breathing technique or walking and watching the thoughts and feelings and sensations as they arise or saying a prayer to oneself, whatever it may be, they will feel better. Dr. James Gordon. And they'll have certain improvements in physiological measures. Stress hormones will go down. Immune system functioning will increase. Blood pressure will go down. Heart rate will go
6: down. Blood sugar will go down. There's a lot of information about how uh, mental states correlate with states of physiology.
0: Dr. Andrew Weil points out that scientists have discovered an amazing network of chemicals called neurotransmitters by which the brain and the rest of the body communicate through electrical signals they can produce powerful mind-body interactions.
6: One that goes back really forever is the demonstration uh, that hypnosis can produce very dramatic changes in physiological functioning. For example, you can take a person in a deep trance, uh, touch them with your finger and represent that as a piece of hot metal, and they'll get a blister at the site. I mean that's all you need, you just need one example of that to show you that uh, it's possible for a thought or belief to go directly into uh, the physical body and produce a real physical effect. Uh, We know for example that immune cells have receptors on them for neurotransmitters, and immune cells produce neurotransmitters, so there's a a constant back and forth chemical conversation between the brain and the immune system.
0: Tell us a little bit more about this conversation between what we're thinking, the attitudes we walk through the world with, and the physiological functioning of our body that could lead to illness or
6: to aggravate I think that emotional states like joy, um, happiness are correlated with better immune function, whereas grief and depression are correlated with decreased immune function. Decreased immune function leaves us more vulnerable to malignant growth. Uh, therefore, I think that cancer patients need to work in the area of, of doing things to um, improve the interactions of their emotional life with their immune system
0: functioning.
3: Well, we come at this in many different ways. The foundation of everything we do here is the relaxation response, learning to quiet your body, quiet your mind.
0: Dr. Ann Webster of Harvard's Mind-Body Medical Institute.
3: So you learn to slow down the racing thoughts. Then in that slowing down, you can examine these thoughts and ask yourself three questions. Is this really helping me to think like this? Is this really true? Is there another way I might be able to think? When you slow down enough to look at your negative thoughts, you will see that most of them aren't serving you well. Many of them we make up, particularly all those horror stories about the future because nobody knows. When you can see that, then you're able to say, wait a second. Maybe I can come up with a more rational way of thinking about this. And thinking
0: more clearly, especially when we face serious illness, tends to reduce internal conflicts and promote a calmer emotional mood. Dr. James Gordon in Washington.
5: If you can create a more relaxed state, your body is likely to heal itself better we create what the physiologists call homeostasis or balance in the body. What I say to people is, look, this is a chronic illness, and it's a long-term commitment you're making to deal with cancer. And if you're going to do it in a way that will not only spare your body but enhance your own capacity to heal, then relaxation has got to be central.
4: To bring forth the relaxation response, one has to break the train of everyday thought.
0: Harvard Medical School professor Herbert Benson is a widely recognized authority on the health benefits of relaxation.
4: And to do this, one often uses two steps. The first is a repetition. The second is the disregard of other thoughts when they come to mind and a return to the repetition. So one can repeat a word, a sound, a prayer, a movement, and disregard other thoughts when they come to mind. That will break the train of everyday thought and allows our bodies to then revert into this quiet state, which is the relaxation response.
3: It's just quieting, The thoughts, those broken tapes that keep going around and around and around, and then uh, quieting what's taking place in the body. You'll just notice that when you're practicing this, that your mind wanders, and that's your mind's job, and you just notice that, and your mind wanders. You're way off thinking about what you're going to eat tonight for dinner, you know, all that work that's back there on your desk, whatever it is, and oh, there I go again, and come back to your breath. And you watch each out-breath, so that becomes your focus. Or you can pick a word, come back to the word peace, and repeat that over and over on your out-breath, and then you forget the thoughts again.
0: You don't necessarily repeat it aloud.
3: No, you can say it to yourself. And then uh, you might say uh, part of a prayer, God be with me on each out-breath. I really like it if my patients can find a prayer or something spiritual, something very comforting to say in the out-breath.
6: When you put your attention on your breath, I think you're putting it in neutral. Uh, You're having your attention in a safe place.
0: Dr. Andrew Weil.
6: I think most of our anxiety, most of our unhappiness comes from paying attention to thoughts or to images. Uh, So if you can just, if you're aware that you are dwelling on a negative thought, a fearful thought or a negative image, or a fearful image, uh, if you simply transfer your attention to your breath, you know, that's one way of dealing with that.
0: In our high-pressure society, the gift of relaxation can elude many of us, even those in good health. For cancer patients trying to maximize their vitality in order to fight illness, giving the body a break from stress can be essential. Magali Jaguno in Miami
2: the type of cancer that i have not only it destroys the bones it also destroys the blood in other words it's a blood cancer and the uh blood counts come go down like the white count which is our immune system that's what defends us from diseases it goes down when you're very stressed out and that's very easy, easy to to discern because we get a cold when we're very tired or stressed out. So to me, it's a matter of life or death to keep calm. And there's really nothing that is worth getting very upset about. I take it to God in prayer if it really bothers me, if I'm angry and I see myself getting worked up. I sit down by myself and I meditate and I ask God to take away from my heart all the feelings of anger and resentment
3: you can focus on your breath you can focus on a word a phrase you could focus on you know the light of a candle you can go sit out in nature and watch the sunset you could do mindful walking where you focus on your footsteps and counting and you know whatever so there are lots of ways of finding a a focus to turn off the chatter
0: Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Medical oncologist Dr. Leo Stolbach. We also had help from Laura Ballinger, Shannon Novak, and Mark Adamchek. Music performed by Brad Hatfield. Our program is presented by Human Media. Program development and support provided by Shart Media.
2: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.
0: This segment, part one of Journey for Recovery, is Humankind program number 101.
2: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.